We respectfully acknowledge the University of Arizona is on the land and territories of indigenous peoples. Today, Arizona is home to 22 federally recognized tribes, with Tucson being home to the Autumn and Yaqui. Committed to diversity and inclusion, the university strives to build sustainable relationships with sovereign native nations and indigenous communities through education offerings, partnerships, and community service. interprofessional groups across the six healthcare colleges here at the University of Florida participate in a program we call Putting Families First, which is a Robert Wood Johnson funded program where we uh, solicit patients and patient families to be involved in a program where our, our students go to the homes of the patients and learn about how they can help their quality of life. Well, hello there, and thanks for joining us for Season 4, Episode 66. Today, we speak with Dr. Nina Maltek. She's the Associate Dean and Randolph B. Mahoney Director of the University of Florida School of Physician Assistant Studies. She received her doctoral training from the Drexel University College of Computing Informatics, and her clinical experience includes obstetrics, gynecology, ophthalmology, and cardiovascular and thoracic surgery. She also has a significant expertise in simulation, and we're excited to let her tell you all about that. As always, you can learn more about our guests at our website, www.papathpodcast.com. Well, Nina, thanks so much for joining Steph and I today. We're, we're really delighted to learn about the University of Florida. Uh, but first, let's talk about your career. You have a really interesting path uh, that led you to PA school and then beyond. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us kind of those steps that led to you joining our profession 30 years ago, that would be great. Sure. Well, it's great to be here today and, and quite an honor. And I've been a PA for a number of years. And uh, early on, I was going to pursue a, an area of healthcare. I wasn't exactly sure. I ended up as a patient in the hospital a few months before I had thought about going to nursing school. And as I lay in the hospital bed, Interaction, being cared for by nurses, I decided that was absolutely not the path for me. And so I began to look at other opportunities. One of my close friends' brother was a PA, one of the earlier PAs, and and my friend came and visited me at the hospital. And she said, why don't I send my brother over to talk to you and see if you've got what it takes to be a PA. And uh, a few months later, I applied to two PA schools. I had been living in uh, the suburban Washington, D.C. At, at the time, suburban Washington, D.C. area at the time. And I, I applied to two schools and I was admitted to Hahnemann University, now Drexel University. And that's where I ultimately uh, decided to attend, but even stepping back a bit, it was a passion to help others and serve others that that led me to be a PA in the, in the beginning. I just wasn't exactly sure what my niche was, where I fit well, and so I, I went to, uh, to school at the then Hahnemann University and really enjoyed uh, caring for patients in various population groups and 
really never looked back. I had a really great support network. And while I was the first in of most of my family to go into healthcare, it was a passion for uh, caring for people and serving others that led me in this direction. And I see that after school, you had some clinical experience in obstetrics, gynecology, ophthalmology, like both of those are a little less common for PA. So I'd love to hear more about that plus CT surgery. Sure. Well, once I finished school in Philadelphia, I sort of had a, a, a challenging decision of was I going to go back to the Washington, D.C. area or would I stay in Philadelphia? And I ended up uh, deciding to go back to uh, the D.C. area near my family. And an opportunity came up. Um, a couple of opportunities uh, presented themselves, but I always really was intrigued by the disciplines, the healthcare disciplines that balance surgery, as well as as well as well the clinical outpatient setting. And so that's one of the commonalities among all the disciplines that I worked in is that I could do procedures, participate in uh, surgical procedures as well, and then see the patients and follow up and get them get to know them as a whole person. And so when I had gone back to uh, Maryland, I, I worked at Johns Hopkins initially with the Department of Ophthalmology. They had just started using PAs. I worked uh, initially in an inpatient setting, and then the two other PAs and I uh, worked in uh, inpatient and outpatient. We saw patients, ophthalmological patients, in the ED, pre-op patients, and got in the OR a handful of times because, well, the uh, sterile area is pretty small in the uh, in the ophthalmological OR, so so that that was a little limited. And after that, uh, you know, that lasted a couple of years. And the reason I changed from ophthalmology to the other disciplines was really kind of family centric. My my husband took a job in Florida and. We moved to Florida and I looked around to see what kind of PA opportunities were available at the time. And someone said, I know this physician, he's looking for a new PA. What do you think about women's health? And I said, well, the outcome is usually good. If he'll let me go in the OR, that would be fantastic. And so it was a fantastic opportunity, uh, a little bit of a leap going from ophthalmology to, to women's health. But I got to see patients in the office and I got to be his first assist in the OR and I rounded on the patients and he was thrilled because he never had a PA before and he had no idea um, how it was all going to go. And uh, one of the challenges back then that many of the listeners may remember was when back in the day we used to write in the charts by hand, the nurses would give uh, my supervising physician a headache about taking the orders that I would write. And he went in, he was a big, tall man. And he said, you know, whatever Nina writes in the chart, take it as if I had written it. And uh, once we established a good working relationship and they recognized that I was essentially writing for the same things, he was happy, the patients were happy, and the rest of the healthcare team members were, were, were okay too. But uh, that was those were clinical experiences that, you know, I worked with him for a long time. He became a, he merged with a bigger practice and I was still the only PA who, um, who worked with him. And then after that, I went and joined a, a bigger practice and did essentially the same, you know, held the same role for multiple physicians. And what I loved about it is that, you know, we could teach preventative care, participate in the OR, outpatient care, 
and, and a lot of patient education. And that was really great and, and a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And those were the core clinical experiences I had. And I, I then had an opportunity to, to make a change, to make another change every so often. It's one of the things I love about this profession is every, if you want to make a change, you can make a change, whatever fits your, your lifestyle and your personality. And, and after that, I went and worked in cardiovascular and thoracic surgery. And one of the impetus for that was that I was enrolled in a master's degree program at the University of Nebraska for one of the add-on master's degrees because I had only had a bachelor's degree at the time. And so the women's health uh, group wouldn't allow me to um, be in school and participate in patient care at the same time. And so I looked for an opportunity where um, it was it was exciting to me and fast-paced and that I could make a difference in in healthcare outcomes. So during that time, I guess that was something I always had wanted to do, but the hours were pretty crazy. And I, I have to be honest, I, uh, I, I'm a person who prefers Monday through Friday hours as a PA. And while, you know, in healthcare, that always bleeds over in healthcare education, that always bleeds over. I, I wanted to have some bit of control and they allowed me to work in cardiovascular and thoracic surgery. I think I was only on call like one weekend a month, but but I enjoyed it. It was a way to uh, enhance my surgical skills, my patient care management. And part of the uh, program was developing some educational content for other PA students who might like to be involved in cardiovascular and thoracic surgery groups as a PA. And so that was really one of my first steps into education and, you know, blending that high stress, uh, intense, you know, patient care, clinical experience was a lot of fun, but it, it sort of led me to pursuing education in a bigger role. So I have to thank them for that and, and thank them for that opportunity. I loved balancing that and most of those outcomes were good as well. So it, it really gave me a chance to make a difference, not only to patients, but for for future PAs who join that practice and some other clinical cardiovascular and thoracic surgical practices. And, and I've been uh, really focused on education since that time. It's uh, been, been a while. You know, our pre-PA listeners hear, I think, all the time about the versatility of our profession. And I think, you know, your career path is a is a great example of how PAs really can switch courses and in, in, in really work in different settings and different specialties and, you know, enjoy a lot of versatility and, and variety across their career. Uh, if I'm correct, Hopkins is, first of all, it's really unique, and Kevin mentioned this, but it's really unique that you got to work in ophthalmology because there just aren't a lot of PAs in ophthalmology. But Hopkins actually has a dedicated ophthalmologic emergency department, right? It, it, yes. it, it, maybe you can just talk about that a little bit because it is kind of unique. Sure. The main hospital at Johns Hopkins in downtown Baltimore is a big, huge medical complex. And then one building is, is dedicated to um, ophthalmologic care. They've increased the number of PAs that they use over time. And there's a uh, several floors which are connected to the hospital for, for the inpatients. And there's a dedicated ED for eye trauma and 
and other, uh, you know, other uh, maladies where patients have vision loss and either their family members or uh, the rescue vehicles bring them to the Hopkins ED. So very commonly, as I'm not sure if the pre-PA listeners want to hear about the details of the types of patients that come in, but they're pretty significant. And um, just like gaining exposure to any new, new clinical environment, I think that it's a fabulous place to shadow to see uh, exactly what goes on. About 3% of all PAs work in ophthalmology, maybe a little bit less. And it's maybe three or maybe it's close to four for uh, PAs who work in only in women's health, although most PAs have some element of women's health care in their practice. Uh, those dedicated to women's health are, are, are small. So going back to the Hopkins, the Wilmer Eye Institute um, ophthalmological ED, driven by residents and PAs and anyone who comes through there who needs a consult. The attendings, the attendings are just upstairs, so uh, they either will make a quick pass through the ED to consult with the uh, APPs and residents on the patients, and depending on the needs, the patient will either be, they're not discharged, they'll either be admitted or they go upstairs to the OR, which is in the same building. So all of the eye care is, is in the supplies, from the surgical supplies to all the equipment needed to do an eye exam or to remove foreign bodies are all there. Every chair is in every bay in the Wilmer Eye Institute at Johns Hopkins is stacked full of uh, equipment solely for ophthalmological care. And it, that was a really exciting opportunity. Well, Nina, one of the things I always like to kind of look at the, the leadership experiences that our guests have had. And, you know, I, I think that's one thing about PA educators and PAs in general is that they, we, we just kind of find all kinds of corners of the world to get involved. And one of the things that you've done was served on the board of directors of the International Society for Simulation and Healthcare, one of the only PAs to do that, right? First of all, I, you know, I commend you for seeking leadership opportunities and for representing the PA profession in, in these really important circles. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit, maybe briefly about that experience, but obviously you don't serve on that board without having passion for simulation and healthcare. And I think that this is just, you know, SIM is an area that has really changed the face of medical and PA education and, and maybe just give us your thoughts on how, how simulation is going to really change PA education in the future. I really, um, I think it's a fantastic question and I will just uh, really step back for a minute and and just share that I, I think that I think there's so many opportunities for using simulation healthcare education. I, I think you know back in the earlier days we we tried different procedures on on apples, oranges, pigs feet, bananas, all sorts of you know food items, and then we ended up um, going straight to uh, to patient care. And I I remember doing a first procedure on a patient with, you know, with one of my uh, faculty members looking over and my hand shaking terribly because it was the first time I did it on a, on a patient. And, and uh, my faculty said, you know, oh, she's, you know, just had too much coffee on her way in to, to work this morning. And, and so thinking about opportunities for students to learn things in a, a safe manner and thinking about patient safety as PAs, you know, we're always patient advocates, and for that, we want to give them the best quality health care. So using, using simulation modalities is essential in helping, you know, helping us as educators help the students meet 
our program defined competencies and whatever those those are and giving students a chance to learn those in a scaffolded way. Most programs um, for a number of years have had access to standardized patients and most programs have used those in a way to assess students' clinical uh, decision-making skills and watch their interactions uh, for taking history and physical, uh, performing history and physical exams. I think that, you know, the next step was, was to use screen-based, computer-based, or, or mannequin-based simulation modalities. And I, I think that using simulation in a way that's affordable and meaningful for students in a program helps students gain confidence and competence. And it's really an invaluable tool. I think that, you know, a lot of PA programs are using simulation in formative and summative ways which is really important. And I know that, um, you know, using those modalities in our summative assessment of students is so essential. Uh, one of the things that I've been working with some hosp local hospital systems are on is their onboarding system set up. And a lot of onboarding and credentialing in hospitals around the country and around the world actually are using uh, simulation-based cases to evaluate a PA's eligibility to work at various places in the hospital system. So, you know, des designing what that looks like, I think, is really important. Also, using an opportunity for, uh, you know, recertification. We have Panry LA now, and uh, for those uh, free PAs uh, who, who might be listening, it's a, a really nice option instead of uh, sitting down and taking a several hundred question multiple choice exam, we get to pace ourselves with answering the questions. And I think in the future, some health systems may use uh, simulation to support knowledge-based um, information, knowledge-based assessments in assessing whether a PA is, is, is competent to perform the task that will be required, you know, of them to have the credentials for the hospital. So that's sort of my, my you know, like bird's eye view of the whole thing. I got involved in simulation because uh, when I was a faculty member, I, I just was passionate about giving students more experience in doing things. I've always been the kind of person who didn't get it on the first or second time. And I'm always the, the kind of person who needed to practice it three or four or five times before I was competent. I felt comfortable that I wouldn't hurt anybody. I wanted to be extra sure that that I was doing it right and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't cause any unnecessary outcomes. So I got that was the reason that I got involved in simulation because I saw it as a safe way for us to teach healthcare provider students and PA students have always been the focus of my teaching, but I um, using simulation, it was an opportunity for me to participate in student teaching, uh, which included other healthcare profession students. And so immediately that interprofessional education took a whole nother life. And so I work with some other healthcare education providers to, um, you know, develop cases that were robust and involved, um, you know, handoffs to other providers and by, you know, um, you know, good outcomes, delivering bad news, all the things that we do as PAs and that other healthcare providers do as well. And we look for a way to uh, be efficient in our teaching <laughs> and working together really help develop that. And uh, we developed a number of, of cases that we use for other, other healthcare professions, summative assessments. And so being involved 
with that uh, gave me an opportunity to, you know, elevate my, my involvement. You know, I always feel that, you know, some of the healthcare institutions, some educational institutions have access to a lot of different resources. Um, and that's not necessary to be an effective simulation educator. And so learning how to use what people have or to make simulated models out of a box and a balloon, you know, which were, for, you know, to make a simulation model that cost, a, a, you know, a dollar <laughs> was a challenge. And also using the really expensive modalities was great. And I think, you know, one of the things that gaining a lot of contacts in that simulation space helped me be resourceful and help other PA educators become resourceful. And it was really nice. I think the interprofessional aspect has always been fun and, you know, giving back to our PA community about how to, you know, and the PA education community specifically, how do we give back to others and how do we help other PA educators you know, elevate their simulation education, both formative and summative, at different levels of, of the curriculum for students. I think one of your other questions was how I got involved in the in Society for, for Simulation and Healthcare. And that was that was one of the reasons one of the areas. I started a special interest group in simulation in that organization. We crossed over to the Physician Assistant Education Association, um, and PAEA has lots of uh, PA educators who are really excited to be in that domain and learn how to train students in a robust way. And I guess when you work hard, people ask you to volunteer to do different things, and they had never had a PA on the uh, on the board. And uh, one of the board presidents said, you know, hey, it's it's about time to have a PA on the board and tap me to be in that role, which was really great because then was another way to tell other healthcare providers what PAs do in various settings. So then they invite, they have special interest groups in emergency medicine and pediatrics and surgery and anesthesia. We have some PAs and anesthesia and every discipline that the PAs work in, the other healthcare providers wanted to know how could we, what kind of competencies do PAs need to be um, effective at to participate on our healthcare team in the, in the pediatric ED or neurosurgery? How can we help uh, design a training and an assessment for other PAs who will be future, uh, future members of our healthcare team? So I think it's really exciting. Um, you asked about the future of healthcare and uh, using simulation. I think that technology will dictate that for us. I think that dream-based simulation has proven to be high in demand, uh, especially since the pandemic. I think when we look at training a lot of healthcare providers, being in the sim lab costs money and it costs faculty time. So it's hard to have a, have a right size for that. I think that the future will be hinged on the technology. So now we have the HoloLenses and uh, um, a lot of programs, PA programs and other healthcare provider programs are using them with their, with their cadaver anatomy courses. And I think uh, using them instead of in small group sessions, um, instead of a standardized patient will be opportunity. So as the years progress, I think the cost will level out a little bit. And I would say that uh, all PA students will be able to use them. And I hope that in our assessment of student competencies, we, and our um, renewal of our 
certification that gills are, are part of it as well. I think I think it's uh, it's going to be widely used, even more widely used, and it's it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty common for. And for any PAs who are interested in extra certification, um, there's a certified simulation healthcare educator opportunity that many PA faculty have started to seek for their own personal development. So we talked a little bit earlier, Steph and Kevin, about, about opportunities for PAs to leverage and take them in different directions during their career. And this is another opportunity we could use more PAs who have the uh, the skills and the foundation in, in simulation to to help spread the word and spread the skills throughout our our education community. I really appreciate your perspective on this. I think that I was astounded by an interventional radiologist who came to teach ultrasound techniques for our PA students in LA, and he actually he spent the the day before making Jello molds with an olive in the middle to do a ultrasound guided biopsy. And it was astounding. I mean, it was just so amazing. Something so simple when you look at it through the lens of an ultrasound was so realistic as the students were using the probe to get to it. So you're right. It, you don't need a lot of fancy equipment. You could just, you might need a little bit of baking skills as well. I, I uh, had a chance to travel to the Ukraine about 10 years ago. My husband is from the Ukraine and we went uh, with his mom and uh, she happens to be friends with uh, one of the directors of the Felcher, Felcher training program at Medical College 2 in Kiev, Ukraine. Oh, my gosh. And so I had a chance to go and visit them. And they call simulation models uh, Felcher. My Russian isn't very good. I took my mother-in-law along as an interpreter. And so we sat there and he took me on a tour and they use... They they call uh, the simulation models phantoms, and in Europe they 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 commonly call them phantoms. And everything every simulated model they have is made out of some kind of a box, Jello, cupcake, um, uh, toilet paper, or or they don't have a lot of paper towels there, but a tube, you know, a tube from a, a toilet paper roll, straws, very resourceful. So you know, if you if you're at an institution where you know you have some funding, you you get uh, newer things. But the opportunity to learn more about the phantom training, the simulation-based training in the Ukraine, was really uh, exciting, and to really learn more about uh, their method for training the PA equivalent uh, in the Ukraine. Felchers have been around since the late 1800s, and before the current war. Most of the most of the felchers were being trained in emergency medicine and inpatient care, as well as rural medicine. So they focused on women's health and did rural medicine and, and house visits in the rural um, parts of the Ukraine. Wow! The, the people who would drive the, the the ambulance were the doctor and the PA, and they would take turns driving, and then they would just go out with their little you know boxes and bags to the rural areas. And they were in high need. They I'm sure they need more of them now. They were interested in the opportunity yeah. to, to work in the U.S., but, uh, you know, I told them uh, what our requirements for eligibility to practice in the, in the, in the U.S. would be, and we, we stay in touch. It's a little, um, a little challenging with the language barrier, but obviously I haven't 
haven't been in communication with them since since the fighting started. But there's a there's a strong history there of of uh, PA training as or Felser training as well as uh, using their simulation or phantom models to help teach students. Yeah, we read about this in the the Balwig book on history of the profession, but that's the first time anybody brought that to life. So. Let's talk more about the University of Florida. You have been at the UF for a while, and you're an associate dean there and the program director. And so let's talk about through the lens of an applicant. How, what do you, what's your typical spiel to students who are interested in your program, and what are you looking for in an ideal candidate? Students who are interested in the University of Florida have um, a, a good amount of uh, preclinical experience. They have a dedication to, to patient-centered care. Uh, they are, have strong undergraduate curriculum and outcomes, so they've done well in our course prerequisites. And they have life experiences or exposure to other PAs, which helps them validate that this is really what they want to do. At the University of Florida, we're a 24-month program, so we're one of the shorter ones in the country. And we're continually asked, why do you require or request so much clinical experience? And, and my short answer is because we we want people, we want applicants who who have really confirmed with their experience that this is what they want to do. And we're fast paced, so we we want them to, to hit the ground running. And we we look for students who are aligned with our, our mission and our goals. And although we're a state institution, we have students who come from around the country. Most of our students are Floridians, but that's uh, you know common, I think, around the country with the state schools. If you're from that state or you have a compelling reason to go to that state and be in that state, that that's of interest. But uh, we have students who are from around the country and who want to come to the University of Florida We've just uh, celebrated, last year we celebrated our, our 50th birthday or anniversary, I don't know what you call it in PA education, but we've, we've been around for a while. We're the oldest school in Florida. We, we, started, with, um, we started with a dedication to primary care and uh, the University of Florida is in North Central Florida. It's a, a major academic institution. And so we have a hospital right behind um, the building where we sit here. And so students here can get a great, great exposure to inpatient medicine as well as rural healthcare. And primary healthcare has been a core focus since, since our program started. To those pre-PAs who, who might be listening, we, we have a, a lot of been a professional experience. So if in your shadowing experience, you, you value interprofessional education, this is an interesting place to, to have your PA training. What are some of those things that really stands out for you that you have great pride in as an institution? Sure. Um, we, we were lucky about uh, 50 years ago, one of the first Duke graduates helped UF uh, School of PA Studies get started. And we've had a long history of connection with the area health education centers. And so there are 
uh, about six of them currently, and we have a long history of having our students participate in primary care in those settings. We have interprofessional education opportunities. So every student starting with the first semester, actually the first semester is our anatomy course. So starting with the second semester here, we have interprofessional groups across the six healthcare colleges here at the University of Florida participate in a program we call Putting Families First, which is the Robert Wood Johnson funded program where we uh, solicit patients and patient families to be involved in a program where our, our students go to the homes of the patients and learn about how they can help their quality of life. At the University of Florida, the School of PA Studies is uh, housed in the College of Medicine. Uh, we also have here in the Health Science Center, um, dentistry, nursing, vet med, pharmacy, and public health and health professions. And so um, it's a that leads us to robust interprofessional experiences. And this putting families first is the first opportunity during training to work with uh, students from other colleges and other health professions and learn how each of them participates or what the role is for each in the care of a patient. For those who are who are uh, listening, we, we have our students go to the patient's homes. Those are in rural areas of Florida. The students go as a group and develop a project where they can assist the families to improve the family health, whether it's through diet, whether it's a care of a pet, whether it's through dental health, oral health, management of diabetes or their weight, hypertension management. All the students work together and they meet once a month with a faculty mentor to help develop that project. And that's been a fantastic experience. One of the other things that we have is uh, with the area health education community projects is a, a TACIT, which is a smoking cessation uh, project that all, that our PA students work with the other healthcare professions to develop smoking cessation uh, programs. Uh, they work on that together. They deliver it to the local area schools. And then during the clinical year, during the clinical experience for the PA students and each of the healthcare uh, professional students, they they give that uh, program, they deliver the program, the smoking cessation program to the to the patients in the communities where they do their clinical experiences. So that's another really, uh, really exciting opportunity. One of the other things we're, we, we do have a big simulation lab that we do interprofessional simulation. Some of the simulation is just with uh, PA students. We have um, one floor of uh, mannequin-based simulation and screen-based simulation and one, one area where we have all of the uh, sterilized patient rooms. So that's really a fantastic opportunity. We have themes that we have here. We have a gross anatomy lab and that uh, uh, is followed very closely. We have some experts who help teach that. We also, um, our students are, are able to participate in a variety of special interest groups. So we have a surgical PA club. We have a primary care focused 
club, we, we have uh, free clinics in the area, equal access clinics where patients who are undocumented citizens or for whatever the other reason don't have health care insurance can come to uh, these five local area clinics. One is a bus, uh, one is a mobile uh, clinic at various local churches, and uh, one clinic we have is a street medicine clinic where, where uh, groups of students and clinicians go to the local surrounding areas in some parts of the country they're known as tent cities and we provide health care we, we take students in groups so no one goes alone and we go and provide health care for the citizens in those in those tent cities so we bring the health care to them one of our students was last year the year before did a fundraiser for people in tent cities and called it hang, Hanging with the Homeless. And this young man raised money for hammocks for some of the homeless individuals in our surrounding area. And that's um, so cool. That's great. Yeah. We went to Walmart and bought lots of hammocks for some of the guys there. And he actually ended up working, working with the, that group of individuals and helping, you know, elevate the healthcare and helping to uh, resolve some of the homelessness for some of those individuals. There, there's just something I, I've done a lot of outdoor camping in the military and, and personally, there's something so freeing to be in a hammock versus on the ground so that that is super cool i'm very impressed that's fantastic well nina thank you so much for sharing some thoughts with us and your really interesting path and and some of the experiences that you've had as a professional and for sure highlighting some of the things that make the university of florida's program unique as we wrap up we always like to give our guests an opportunity to kind of give us some parting thoughts or maybe some parting advice to pre-pa students who may be considering the profession and and maybe the university of florida so if you have any any final thoughts or words for us we'd love to hear those oh well well Thanks. It's been a pleasure to share some of my experience and ideas. I think uh, for those of uh, who are uh, pursuing a career as a PA, I think uh, you know you have you have a lot of opportunities regionally and with with PA schools that have specific focuses. I think you should find one that's a, that's a good fit for you. And I I think the rest will come. All the PA schools give phenomenal training. I think that. As individuals, you should should follow your passion. So, if you have a school that uh, of interest to you that uh, has a focus of uh, pediatrics or emergency medicine or inpatient medicine, you you should follow your heart and your dreams. But you also also should keep in mind that that as individuals, as you grow and mature, your um, your interest both personally and professionally uh, will change. Um, and the great thing about our profession is that you can you can change with it, and you can change in any direction that you so choose. And it's up to you to make it happen. I think that uh, you have an opportunity to work clinically as a PA. You have an opportunity to serve patients in the military. You have have an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of, of uh, communities where uh, they have a paucity of, of healthcare providers. And you may be the only healthcare provider for 30 to 50 miles, and that may meet your goal. And as uh, PAs advance in their careers and uh, seek different paths, the opportunity for leadership roles within healthcare healthcare organizations is expanding and opportunities for PAs to seek advanced education 
and and leverage themselves to make to make uh, big differences is uh, readily available. So find a mentor. I those of you who are listening who haven't matriculated in PA school. I highly advise you to find a mentor and maybe a personal uh, PA coach. But I th- actually, I wouldn't say just one mentor. I think many mentors is 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 important. And so, someone who can mentor you through your application process could be a peer who's a few steps ahead of you. Could be a, a friend or a friend of a friend or an acquaintance who's been a PA for a number of years. And make use of those connections. Uh, for those of you who are um, embarking on a career as a PA, begin advancing your PA network to include friends and and a few mentors. And some mentors will be with you for the long haul, and some mentors will be with you for a year or two or three. But leverage that that connection, just like your social media network. Uh, Leverage that PA network for yourselves and having, having a good support system and a good network to give you advice along the way will be uh, will be one of your most valuable assets. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Nina. It was great to see you again. We wish you and your colleagues at Florida the very best. Oh, thanks. It was so nice of you to uh, invite me to join you here today. It's It's been fun, and I look forward to our future PA colleagues and getting in the next step. So thanks so much. Well, we want to thank our guest, Dr. Nina Maltak, for sharing her time and insights about the University of Florida's School of Physician Assistant Studies. We also appreciate her sharing her passion on simulation as well, and it was great to hear from her. Tune in next week as we speak with one of the most prolific scholars, educators, and leaders in our profession, Mr. Jim Cauley, who has over 40 years of research and education from the School of Medicine and Health Science at the George Washington University Physician Assistant Program. He's a professor emeritus and a past chair of the Department of Prevention and Community Health in the Milken Institute School of Public Health at GW. In addition, he's co-authored five books on PAs and has authored more than 150 peer-reviewed articles published in journals all across our country and beyond. Until next time, we wish you success with whatever path you are walking in life, and thank you for joining us. The purpose of this podcast is to provide news and information on the PA profession and is for informational purposes only. The views and perspectives expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and guests and do not necessarily reflect the positions or policies of the University of Arizona.